Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, hey, good morning. Um, Pastor Craig and Shanda send you their love. They are uh, actually hanging out in Portland for the week and a time with, uh, for those who've been at Prophetic Assembly in previous years, they're with Pastors Daryl and Michael Corbin, uh, just getting some time to connect and refresh, which is awesome. So if you think about them, pray for them. They will be back, well, tomorrow, so they're traveling for that. And speaking of tomorrow, uh, ladies in the house, if you're 18 and over, we'll just leave it there. Um, we have a women's bowling night. And I think you guys are like the last group to get to go bowling. Youth kicked it off at camp. And we loved it so much that men did it. And then the young adults were like, I want to do that again. So we did it. And I'll warn you, if you're doing 10 pin, I actually got a bowling injury. I didn't even know that was possible. Um, but I still can't quite close my fist properly. Uh, Cause I got really fat fingers, which means I have to use the heavy ball to bowl and I just was too weak. My neighbor Mark hasn't trained me yet to get ready for that. Uh, but all that to say, ladies, you can sign up for bowling. It's going to be fantastic Monday night, tomorrow night. And lastly, we have, I mentioned this last Sunday, but we have our church AGM uh, next Sunday, directly following service. Uh, so would love to have you guys come out to that. It's going to be a great time. Um, but we're going to jump in. If you're taking notes, you're like me, you like to have the notes Uh, You can put down the title, Called to Bear Fruit. Called to Bear Fruit. If you're like me in June, you're thinking that's not like the black bear. I I Googled it to make sure that was the right spelling. Uh, But to bear, to bring forth truth. We just finished our series uh, that we've been going through and had so much great feedback from a lot of you called No Offense. This idea we walked through teaching, if you missed any of it, I would encourage you, as I have, uh, to go back and listen to some of the teachings uh, to, to just make sure that we're living this way. And it was the reality and hopefully some teaching that brought a little bit more understanding that offense is something that will rob you not only of quality of life, uh, but sometimes physically an unforgiveness quantity of life as well. But this idea that offense is so easily something that can find its way into our hearts. And this Sunday for a while now um, has been a Sunday that Pastor Craig asked me to speak that I was really excited about. He goes, I'll just kind of preach whatever's, whatever's on your heart, which as a pastor you just need to know is like the worst thing in the world for me. Because like you give me a text, I can study that text the best I can, figure it out. Like, oh, whatever you want. I'm like, all right, we'll start in Genesis 1 and see where we get. Like it's, it's just one of those things. But at, at around February, just beginning to pray it. And I felt like God was putting something on my heart, and even in worship today, what we were singing, and graduates kind of going forward to what is next, I feel like the Lord has a specific word for us and a specific timing. One that honestly, um, I don't know if I would have been ready to step into had I not had my heart prepared and healed from the No Offense series. There's certain timings in, in the Lord that we want to step into certain things that are great and then awesome, but the reality is sometimes he needs to prepare things in us so that we're in a place where we're ready to step into what God has called us to. And this morning, I want to invite us into the text of Luke chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8. We'll be there in a minute. But before we look to Luke, I want to preface it with a few statements that Paul makes to raise our expectations of the life that Jesus has called us to live. And these statements come out of Ephesians. 
And if you've heard me kind of teach on Ephesians before, you can break the book of Ephesians right in half. Chapter one to three are Paul teaching the incredible goodness of a new reality that we have in Jesus. Like all of the blessings, everything, this new reality, so, so good. And we love that. We love singing songs about that. We love teaching on that. We love putting on Instagram over a pitcher of coffee for some reason, a verse on that. Like we love all sorts of things on that. But the second half of the book, if that is new reality, the chapters four to six, Paul begins to talk about new living in light of that new reality. That Jesus has not just saved you so that you can just sit there. He saved you for a purpose. And Ephesians 2.10 says this, very famous verse, but I want to hit on one aspect that's going to lead us in this morning. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I think sometimes, which is also true, can happen if there's one reality that's true in the Bible and other passages, and we read it passages like this, we can kind of come to the conclusion that they're saying the exact same thing. If we can leave Ephesians 2 up there for a sec. See, Ephesians 2, although the reality and the truth is that, yes, God created you and knew you in your mother's womb, that he had a specific plan, that your hair color, that your eye color, everything about you is intentional, that God created that at the beginning, if we can throw Ephesians 2 up. 2.10. What Paul is talking about here does not cancel that out, but he's talking about something a little bit different. You see, it says, for we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, that God has created something, and it's once we are now in Christ Jesus, Paul is talking about the new creation you now are. So he's not necessarily talking about the fact that Daniel has brown eyes and a, and a kind of patchy beard, and he's going to be, a, you know, 6'2" right? <laughs> Some of you are listening. My wife's like, Daniel, no, no, that's not true. That my physical makeup and God created me, he was an intentional in that, but Paul is speaking about the newness, this new reality that has been created once you are in Christ Jesus. And that new reality, that salvation, that new life it actually leads us, we're supposed to go and do good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us. And if we missed it, he goes, those plans, those purposes, that call of God, it's not just meant to claim and, and be excited about, you're actually meant to do it. And, and if we didn't get it, in the, in the split of Ephesians, he moves to chapter four, he says this, in light of this new reality that we didn't earn grace, we couldn't pay for it, all of Ephesians two reminds us that it's only by grace, it's only by God, so good. But then Paul hits us with this. He goes, as a prisoner of the Lord, which Again, you can read Ephesians 1 to 3 this afternoon. If you like, talks a little bit about what we are now in Jesus. We're called to follow him. He's not just Savior, but he's also Lord. He goes, I then urge you to live a life worthy of the calling which you've received. You see, dead religion would say live a life worthy so that you might receive a calling but grace says, because you have now received a calling that you could not earn, nor would you deserve, in light of that shift, in light of that change, in light of the access we have to the Father through the blood of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, live a life in step with, according to, equal to what has been given to you in the grace of Jesus. Friends, we are called to bear fruit. 
They're things that Jesus has called us to. And I, I, and I want to make sure we don't confuse two things. That yes, in Jesus, there's what's kind of like the general will of God. Paul puts it in a real easy picture. It's like if you come say yes to Jesus, you're now part of the body of Christ, right? And so all of us, yeah, like it, it's kind of the general things. Like, hey, being faithful, learning to abide in the Lord. All of the things that every single follower of Jesus is called to do the same thing. These are foundational. These are very, very important. But those just make you part of the body. Paul says, now that you're part of the body, not all of us are hands. That would be a freak show. He says, some of you are hands, but some of you are actually called to be feet. And some of you are an ear, and some of you are an eye, and some of you are a mouthpiece, and sometimes I think I might be the appendix. But there's other parts of the body that we are actually called to discern and to step in to learn to function in. And as I began to pray for this message, and I began to think about our church, and I began to reflect on the past three years, at least in my own life, if I'm honest, the past three years has caused me to go a little bit on my back foot. It's caused me maybe to lean into just some of the general practices that every Christian's called to, but I've been a little bit nervous. My faith has been a little bit bruised to step into some of the specific things that God might be calling me to. And as I know the stories of some in the room, I want to encourage you that although there may have been disappointment or disillusionment or hurt, that God is still calling you forward into something specific that he has called you to. Yes, generally, God has called you. You're a son and daughter of the king. Everything that is true about Ephesians 1 to 3, new reality, we're called to buy all of these things, yes, but there is a specific function. There is a specific call. If I could put it this way, there's a specific fruit that your life is meant to produce that will not happen on accident. Paul says it in a different way in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. We can throw it on the screen. He says this. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this. He's talking again, again to, he was talking to Ephesians before, now a different church, a letter to the, uh, in Philippians. He says, I have already arrived. I haven't arrived at my goal, but this is what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. Next verse. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead I press on towards the goal of my life to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My hope and my prayer this morning is that something would shift inside of you, that God would begin to put a picture in front of you to why he took hold of you why he grabbed you, why he saved you, why he redeemed you, why he rescued you. We celebrated in communion that he called you out. And this morning, I want to ask the question, why did he call you out? For what purpose did Christ take hold of you? What's, what's the function? What are the things that God has called you to? And thankfully, Jesus brings a little bit of teaching for us because the reality is I, I choose to believe and I do believe that everyone in this room would desire 
to follow Jesus. But I also know there's realities in our life that can cause us to be unfruitful in some areas if we're not careful. And in Luke chapter 8, I'll paraphrase the first bit because most of us here know it. But if not, it's a great story where Jesus, he's teaching a bunch of people. It says, well, a large crowd was gathered and people were coming to and from town. He told them this parable. They're, they're dealing with things that Jesus was saying things, but they liked what he said, but they didn't actually ever really do what he told them to do. And he, he goes, okay, a farmer went out and he chucked out some seed and some seed fell on the concrete and birds came and they ate it. Then other seeds, they fell in, 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 in rocky soil and it, it sprouted up really quickly. But then when the heat came, it just withered and died. And then there was other seeds they found fell amongst kind of weeds or thorny soil and, and it grew and it produced the plant. But the reality is the weeds and the thorns that were allowed to coexist in the same place choked out the, the, the seed and it was there, but it wasn't fruitful. Then he ends with the four sows, but then there was a seed that fell in good soil. And that seed through perseverance produced fruit in its time. And it became a hundredfold for what was actually planted. And then he yells out, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he kind of walks away. <laughs> and everyone's like, uh, cool story, Jesus. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a carpenter though. I'm not a farmer. Uh, he is, but I'm not. And, and he kind of leaves it there. But then I love this in verse eight. It says, his disciples asked him, what were you trying to communicate in that passage. And we're going to look at the explanation that Jesus gives in his parable and how it applies to our life this morning. Before we do, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. God, we ask that by your spirit today, you would speak new life again into our hearts. Lord, in this area, when we begin to look at what we're called to, it simultaneously leads our minds to the areas where maybe we failed or we fell short or the reasons why we can't. And so God, at the front of this message, I just, I thank you that your Holy Spirit convicts us, but it does not condemn us. And so Lord, when our tendencies or the hesitations or the lies of the enemy try to come and bring accusations to make us discouraged, Lord, I pray that your hope and your peace would guard us that your word would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And a couple things for us to know that kind of paints the picture that I think is important when we're reading is to understand some of the context as you've been here before. You know I, I enjoy that and that's some of the things that's important to me. It's a few things to point out in this passage. Is number one, it's a parable. Uh, and so a parable has a specific purpose. Jesus is making up a make-believe story to try and communicate in modern-day terms things that we would understand, communicate that to people so that they would have a natural reality that communicates a spiritual truth. We would call it today allegory or the moral of the story. He's taking something we're familiar with to try and communicate something that we may not be familiar with. And number two, the purpose of parables, I love this, it does two things at the same time. It conceals the truth for those who are not open to it, but it reveals the truth to disciples who are willing to lean in and ask the question, God, what does this mean for me? 
And it's not that Jesus doesn't love the crowd. He died for the crowd. He fed the crowd. He hung out with the crowd. He resurrected and came back to the crowd. And he's called us to go to the crowd. So if you find yourself this morning, and maybe you're just inquiring about Jesus, you're not, you wouldn't say, man, I follow him, but maybe I'm curious or I'm, I'm doing this. You need to understand that Jesus' heart is for you. He died for you. He has an incredible plan and a purpose. But the reality of this book is there may be some things that make you go, that is bonkers and doesn't make sense. And apart from the resurrection of a living God who came incarnate as a man, died for our sins, resurrected back from the grave, a lot of this does not make sense. But for those who have claimed to follow this man, Jesus, because of who he claimed he was and what he did, there is teachings in this book that while may be concealed to those who do not surrender their life to Jesus, when you do, the living God, the promises, it makes this book come alive and make sense to us. And so the parables, it takes those from the crowd and the disciples and it kind of makes us choose. The disciples say, God, I don't, I don't need to just hear your teaching. I need to obey your teaching. And lastly, which I think is really encouraging, and somewhat very discouraging. So I remember always reading this passage thinking these were, um, it is individual realities versus sequential steps. I thought like, okay, well, I've received Jesus, so I'm no longer first soil. Good, good. Um, and thorny soil or, or rocky soil, like, okay, no, like I, I persevered some things. Oh, God, I've, I've graduated up next. Like, I don't know why, maybe it's just the day and age that I was born. I always think of Pokemon evolving, Right. Yeah, you too? Awesome. But like, you know, you got your Pikachu, and then it's like, okay, when you get strong enough, you build it, you, you go to, it's a Raichu, right? He only has two. But then it goes to Raichu or Charizard to something else to a, anyways, they evolve. And once you go forward to the next step, you're never going to go back. But it's like, oh, I'm at stage one or stage two. And I think often we do this in our relationship with Jesus, but I don't believe that this passage is meant to show you the steps that once you graduate, you don't need to worry about. I actually think today that there are four different soils existing in your heart right now. There are areas of your heart right now, areas, I'll put it this way, of my heart that are closed off to Jesus whether it's a blind spot that I'm unaware of or it's a reality that I'm not willing to deal with yet and the word would go out. But sometimes, a great series, offense would cause that seed to be fruitless or busyness or other priorities that there's areas of my life that I know because I'm human that Jesus would desire to sow seed into through his word that my heart is hardened and actually there's no fruit being produced. There's other areas of my life that are maybe thorny or amongst rocks. And, and so I want to encourage you, don't be like, oh, well, I follow Jesus. I'm not number one. No, you are. I am. You are. But the good news is that Jesus gives us tools to how to deal with those areas of our lives. So let's jump in. Jesus talks to the explanation of the disciples and he starts with the path. He says this, the seed, he explains his parable. He says the seed is actually the word of God. The word of God being the, the spoken written word, the logos, but Jesus is the word made flesh. It's the things that Jesus brings into our life. Anytime the word of God, the Bible is preached, anytime the spirit of God begins to try and speak something into your life or deposit something in your life, that is what Jesus is talking about here. He says those along the path are those who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they not, 
they may not believe and be saved. So Jesus actually tells us the primary purpose of path one. He is speaking about salvation. As we look at it, we can re realize, even for those who have received Jesus, that, man, there may be areas of my heart where I don't do anything with that seed at all. So God, would you help me? Jesus lets us know what he's talking about in this situation. And in the areas of our life, for those who don't follow Jesus, my encouragement is to you today, if there's any bit of curiosity, keep asking. Keep leaning in. I was talking to someone the other day that just the circumstances of their life has just broken them. And they're just, they're hurt. They're, they're, they're just in, in rough situations. But it's interesting that this brokenness has actually led to an openness to Jesus, an openness to a different reality. Sometimes when we reach the end of ourselves and we have questions that we can't make sense of, there's this idea that maybe there's something, maybe I, maybe I don't have this worldview correct. Maybe there's something different. And so to encourage you today that if this last season has left you broken, you might be perfectly poised for God to bring fruit in your life because he's been able to break up some of the hard soil of our lives. If you find yourself today listening, there's something the Holy Spirit puts his finger on and your gut reaction is to pull back or to armor up for those who do follow Jesus. Could I invite you to courageously suspend that feeling? to see what the Holy Spirit may want to do in your life right now. Then he moves on to the rocky soil. It says this in verse 13. It says, those on rocky ground are the ones who received the word. In other translations, Jesus tells this parable, uh, or it's recorded in three of the gospels. It says, quickly, they receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. You see, the vulnerability of the second soil is in the shallowness of the soil. Or should I say the vulnerability of the second seed is in the shallowness of the soil to which it lands. Now, if you're like me reading this, you probably, I was going to try and like illustrate this, but God did not make me a hand in the body or, or drawing, so it would have been more confusing than anything else. But I always read this growing up and I grew up on the island and I remember certain times we tried to plant stuff, but there was rocks everywhere. So like big boulders and then smaller rocks, like you could barely get anywhere in there. And like when I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, clearly nothing would be able to happen there. I could tell you by looking at the soil that it's not good. But in Palestine, where Jesus was teaching, this actually wasn't the case. I've, I've taught this here once before, so it may sound a bit familiar, but it's what Jesus was referring to what is called a hotbed. On the surface, it did not appear rocky. It actually was pristine. But just beneath the surface, there was a layer of rock. And this was actually conducive towards germinating the seed, breaking it open quicker, so that certain crops could be done quicker. We actually do this with a lot of our food now. We've learned from this kind of natural reality, and we reproduce it to get crops quicker and faster. But you see, the problem in this, Jesus says it withers away because it has no root. In any seed, there's what's called a taproot. Tap your neighbor and say taproot. If you didn't come with them, maybe don't tap them. Uh, maybe tap someone else or just say, hey, taproot. But the reality is that while circumstances were conducive and the weather was okay and 
the topsoil had moisture and everything was going well and there was no conflict and there was no uh, fighting and there was no heat or persecution towards the seed. It was good and it could do what it wanted. It was great. But when the heat persisted, the taproot was unable to go down deeper than the persecution, deeper than the heat where the top layer of soil would dry up. And then the reality is that the plant would die. So when Jesus is teaching this to the people, he again, he's talking a parable. He takes a natural reality that they would have understood. And he says, this is some of your hearts. You love the teaching. You're like, oh, amen, amen, amen. I, I, I liken it to maybe Jesus saying, what gets a quick amen on a Sunday, but zero practice on a Monday to Friday? What are the areas that we quickly, without thinking about it, say, oh, that's awesome, that's fantastic, that's great. Oh, I love that, that's fantastic. But we don't allow any depth in our understanding for how this should direct and redirect our lives. And so we can sing, you're my firm foundation on a Sunday. And Monday, when something happens at work and it changes, your whole life's out of whack because you may have sung it on a Sunday, but the reality of what does that mean for how I conduct my life has yet to go deep enough that you have yet to allow that reality to sink to your heart to know that he is my foundation, he is my source, my income is not my source, that he is my foundation, that my marriage being perfect is not my source, that he is, that there is a depth in saying that this is the foundation of my life. And that is what is actually lacking in this area. That Jesus, in this part of the parable, is speaking to followers that hear the word and quickly, joyfully receive it when they hear it, but they do not take the time needed to allow it to go deep into their hearts, their contemplation, to ask, Lord, that sounds great. But what does that mean for me now? There's a bit of a phenomenon happening in the age of information where we think acquiring of information is equal to transformation, right? I'm guilty of this. I have the information of the perfect nutrition. I could tell you the exact macros I need to eat and micros, or I'm not sure if it's called micros, but whatever, the certain percentage of this and that, and I have a membership to an online outdoor fitness that I could tell you every single workout that is needed to get me in perfect, pristine condition for hunting. I have all of the information I need. And I can stop there, be like, oh, that's fantastic. But if I don't open up that app and actually put information into practice, there will be no transformation. And oftentimes we can claim verse. I've heard it said, said this way by that late Jack Lohman. He goes, we are educated far beyond our obedience in the church. That I could claim for you more scriptures than I actively obey. That we understand, but we don't allow depth to say, how does this transform my life? Jesus, before this passage in Luke 6, he's actually talking about this. He creates another parable for us. He goes, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Okay, Jesus. Glad we just kind of gradually got into this conversation. He goes, as for everyone who comes to me, hears my words and actually puts them into practice, allows it to go deeper than the surface. I'll show you what he's like. They're like a person building a house who dug down deep to lay a foundation on the rock. So when the floods came, the torrent struck, the house could not be shaken because it took the time to be built well, 
But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, it is like a man who built the house on the ground with no foundation because it took too long. Because digging a foundation is work. It's effort. You got to move things. There's certain things in the ground that would cause the foundation to be uneven. And a builder has to describe, am I going to leave that rock there and and possibly put the house at risk? Or am I going to take what was previously a condition, previously existing, and allow the desire for a well-built house to cause me to unroot, to unearth things that had previously been beneath the surface, to remove it so that I might lay a proper foundation. Some of us, we love certain aspects of Jesus, but when it comes to a holistic biblical worldview, we're not sure we agree with certain things on identity. We're not sure we agree with how the Bible tells us we should handle our finances. We're not sure that we agree with certain things about forgiveness. And there are things, worldviews, values that we aren't aware of until the teaching of God confronts that are beneath the surface. That friends, you have the option. Are you going to build a faulty foundation? Are you going to say, Lord, I don't know what I believe about that, but I do know that you're good and your word is true. So if push comes to shove, I guess what's been existent in my life, how I see the world needs to come under submission to your word. So God, would you help unroot this in my life? This nice, cute parable, I think I understand a little bit more why Jesus did a nice, oh, a seed and some fruit and some plants because he's stepping into people's grills. He's getting into their business and saying, some of you claim to follow me, but you're unwilling to do the hard work of laying a foundation with a proper Christian worldview. And that's me saying that in 2023. Jesus probably wouldn't have said that before he died. Does not put them into practice. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. One who is foolish, quick to build his house, in a hurry, cut corners, cheap supplies, was unwilling to take the time to dig a deep foundation. But the wise builder took the time, asked the questions, confronted the areas in them that really struggled with what was being taught. Say, no, God, I, I need this to actually go deep into my life. I need to reorient my life around this. So my question for those in the areas of my own heart where I find myself in the second soil, what areas do we, I need to understand or do we understand the promises and blessings of this new reality in Jesus? But we've yet to take steps to change our Monday to Friday and how we live in light of that new reality. New reality leads and is meant to lead to new living. And so my question would be, when's the last time the word of God confronted an area of your life? And rather than going on to the next verse, like, ah, I just can't right now. You said, okay. What do I need to do, Jesus? The crowd heard the parable, was confused and moved on. But the disciples said, would you explain this to me? What do I need to do? Family, I would encourage you in the areas of your life that it's like, oh, that's great. I don't really pay to take some time in this next season to prayerfully consider, Lord, what, what is it that you're calling me to? The things that we sing about. That's why we took time to say, why are we praising God? Why is he good? Because we can just stay surface. It's, it's, oh, quick, awesome. Yeah, no, just contemplate it. We don't, we don't question. We don't ask more questions. We don't say, I really need to understand this. Sometimes it's because it's too much effort. And then there's the third soil, the thorny soil. 
verse 14. It says, as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares, riches, and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And the picture of what's happening here, unlike the second soil, this third soil, the tap root can go down deeper. And so what would have been like this, if this is the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit, the life, the energy in the sense of time, attention, finances is here. We got the seed that lands on the path and it just can't go into the ground at all. And then you got the seed that maybe lands on the good topsoil here. Sorry, we'll move this. Good topsoil. And it can, it can take root. It has a little bit of foliage or green, greenery, but then it hits a, a rock and it can't. But the third soil is saying this one lands and there's nothing. The, the tap root is able to go down deep to a place where there is water so that when the heat comes, if you notice both in Luke 8 and Luke 6, Jesus implies that testing is coming that a torrent is coming, that life will bring you hardship. That's one of the promises of Jesus. Name it and claim it, right? So in this world, you will have trouble if you follow Jesus or if you don't, right? And so there's a seed. It says when the heat comes and the top layer of soil where there's just, there's nothing. These are the moments in our life where you're like, I just don't have the energy, God. I, in and of myself, I just can't. It says, but the root, it goes down deeper and it finds nourishment in a place that is deeper than the surface. It finds nourishment that not only can sustain it in the heat, but is meant to help it have the energy to produce the fruit, the purpose for which that seed was planted. That Jesus is painting this, but he says, but hold on, this third soil, it's in amongst, it's in close proximity, it's being choked out by thorns. And the problem is thorns also have a taproot. And it's not necessarily, again, I think of sometimes I get this picture of like a flower trying to grow in a blackberry bush. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's kind of choked out. I can't get the sun. Some of that's happening. But what's more significant is this root or this thorn. Its taproot goes down quicker and more aggressively to that source that is meant to sustain and give the energy for that seed to produce fruit. And Jesus says, this fruit does not wither. It just doesn't have any fruit that comes to maturity. At our men's barbecue, I was, we were in the Zalot's backyard, and I looked at one of the big, huge trees in the backyard. I said, this is a great tree, isn't it? It's green, it's big, it can provide shade, all of these things. You'd say it's probably healthy. But if I were to tell you this was an apple tree, there would be issues. Because on the surface, it looks all good, but the purpose of that tree, now this wasn't an apple tree, but the purpose, if it was an apple tree, is not just to be a tree. It's actually meant to produce fruit. And this is where I want to kind of, if I haven't yet, maybe step on some toes. That God did not just save you. That you might live a good moral life. Great, I'm just part of the body. That's fantastic. That you would stop there. All of that is so important. And all of that is so needed. But if you have breath in your lungs and you follow Jesus, he has designed you specifically now in Christ, this new creation, to produce certain fruit. And as I began to study this, I, re I realized in my own life, it has been a long time 
since I allowed the Lord to call me to something and I persevered in that to see fruit come out. And what I love about this verse that brings a reality to us and it echoes the book of Hebrews where it says, hey, we press forward in a race, we lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us. You notice that none of these things are inherently evil. Money's not evil. It can be the root of it if you treat it properly, improperly. But it goes in there, it says there were cares, desires, or the chase, or other translations say the deceitfulness of riches, or just the enjoyment, the pleasure of life. And Jesus asks us and invites us to ask the question, what good thing is robbing you of fruitful things? What good thing in your life? What thing that maybe it's time, and I know in the last couple of years in my own life, where, where the last three years where you couldn't do certain things and the routine of life was uprooted and all of a sudden we just try and improve our house a little bit or maybe I get a side hustle over here or I, I get a promotion at work and, and all good things. Maybe things you prayed for, but there are desires. And I have a purpose and I have a desire for my life and I still go to church and you know my kids are in youth sometimes and, and we're there or, or maybe I'm in university and, and I'm not partying, I'm not drinking, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm doing all the kind of the right things, but when I'm asked, to, hey, what do you think about maybe serving in church because you're not just called to be a part of the body. You're called to use your gifts to participate in the body. You grow and the body grows. Be like, ah, I just, I just don't have time. Or the Koinonia series that we're on, we talk about, hey, what would it look like to make time, to break out and, and cut out time in your life, to meet with two or three people, to say, let's grow in our discipleship with Jesus. Ah, sounds great. I just, I'm just really busy. What are the things that we are allowing, not evil things, good things, okay things, but we are allowing to coexist in our life that rob us of time, that steal our energy, that steal our finances, that distract us from the thing that God is desiring to see produced out of your life. As a youth pastor, can I say this? What are the things in your child's schedule that you allow to choke out their ability to be involved in youth ministry? here or anywhere else, but if they're a child that I, I believe wholeheartedly that they should be involved in peers learning to walk in their life. What are the things in your schedule? And this is kind of preaching to the choir because if you weren't here, you're not hearing this, but uh, you know, we're, we're in there kind of some Sundays. Can I, 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 here's a promise that reality and study of the last 30 years shows us. If as parents, we treat church as optional, your kids will treat God as irrelevant. And we wonder why our kids no longer follow Jesus because we just kind of flirted with, oh, we went to church once in a while and it's this and it's this. Oh, we're busy. Life's busy. What are the seeds? What are the thorns? And how do we reprioritize our life because my life is meant to produce fruit? Single people in the room. Paul says it's actually a blessing to be single, not so that you can travel or live your best life or do what you want or build your career. So you actually have more time and attention that rightfully in a marriage you are meant to devote to your spouse and then to your kids. But as a single person, you have more time and energy to devote to the kingdom of God. You have a culture that says stay single, stay free, stay nimble, do whatever you want to do, get your career, hustle hard, do whatever you want to do. But my, 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 my question to you today is, are you seeing your singleness as a tool to produce much kingdom fruit? Or are you seeing it as a time to just chase the things that you desire in and of your life? 
Singleness, Paul says, is a gift. And for us that sometimes in the church, can I, I don't want to step too much on toes, we can idolize marriage, thinking you can't follow Jesus, fulfill your life unless you're married. Let's not forget we serve, we serve a single Savior, all right? He did pretty good without being married. <laughs> right? I'll get off that. But friends, I want to shake things up a little bit in your heart and your life to ask afresh, God, what are you calling me to put my hands to? Man, can I speak to you one more time? I know we spoke at the, at the barbecue. And I want to say something that, again, I, I don't see as a complete reality, but I know in my own life growing up, there was a season and my dad would agree with this, that he abdicated the spiritual leadership in our home to my mom. Where she was the one leading us spiritually. God bless a mom that loves Jesus and is in the word and gets her family to church. But there was a shift in my home when my dad began to take his faith serious and he began to prioritize it. And he woke me up at 6.30 in the morning to go to prayer on Tuesdays before he went to work, where he took his Bible out of his own room and he put it on the couch because he wanted to teach me that daily he reads his word. Men, we were meant to produce. We were meant to put our hands to the kingdom of God to see things that are not yet happening happen in the, in the church, in your community, in your workplace. And hear me, my, my heart is not to beat you upside of the head and say, do better. Culture is doing a fantastic job of that. My heart is to speak hope again. Say, so you're meant to produce kingdom fruit in strength and in gentleness in the peace of God. For those of us who are married, we're meant to lead our home, not as a strong fist, but as Christ served his bride, the church, in gentleness and self-giving, to lead our families in this way. Where in our lives is the tree green, but it lacks the fruit that's meant to come to maturity? Katie, if you want to jump up on the keys. in our career, in our relationships, in our family, in our comfort, where are the things that we put before the call and the mandate of fruit? For you, this morning, are his workmanship. When you come to Jesus, you are created new in Christ Jesus, meant to produce fruit for good works. Family, there's things in your life that are meant to be coming forth. There are things in the kingdom of God that are meant to be breaking forward because you're there. And if you're like me, this past season has caused me to settle for just sustaining and being there. Rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Daniel, I know you want to go hunting all the time, but what if you're supposed to build some more connection with your neighbor? Hey, Daniel, what about, what about your kid? You're noticing something in your kids right now. What does it look like to give a little more time and effort here? Hey, Dan, you talk about dreaming this, but well, I put this on your heart for a specific purpose. And, and, and where's the energy and the time and the, and the reallocation of my values and the teaching of the Word of God leading me to say, okay, God, I'm going to press in again. I'm not just going to exist. I'm not just going to play. 
I'm not just gonna attend church. All of those are baseline fantastic things that you should be about. But friends, you're part of the body, yes. But when's the last time you leaned in and asked God, Lord, what's my function here supposed to be? And you allowed that word to direct everything. Because can I tell you, there's people in your neighborhoods, there's people in your family that need to eat of that fruit, to taste and see the goodness of God. They need to see that there's fruit. They need to see the kingdom in your life. And it's not enough just to persevere. Because it says in the fourth soil, it says, but the seed on good soil stands for those in a noble and a good heart who hear the word. They retain it by persevering. Oh, they produce a crop. Can I tell you the only thing that will grow naturally in your garden are weeds, not fruit. So if you would close your eyes with me this morning. I'd love just to allow you a moment to ask Holy Spirit, to ask Jesus to speak to you. Maybe the reality is right now that you don't know Jesus. Through circumstances of life, an invitation of a friend, whatever it is, maybe you found yourself here. You're hearing about a God as we celebrated that died for your sins, that wants relationship with you, not just so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven, but he's got a beautiful new plan and creation for your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you say, Daniel, I'm done just kind of requiring or asking about Jesus, but I think I need to give my life to him. This is a turning point in your journey where you begin to learn what it means to follow him. If that's you with no one else looking, but just pop your hand up. Every service, we wanna give an opportunity just to pray. Say, Daniel, I need Jesus in my life. I can't do it on my own. For the rest of us, I would love to to ask the question, God, where in my life am I the second soil? That I need to maybe have some conversations with a leader or someone who's followed Jesus a little bit longer than me to rearrange some of my values or my perspectives to understand the teach of the word, allow it to take root so that when life goes sideways, my faith doesn't as well. But lastly, I would love to ask, and I feel like the Lord, we're gonna give a couple moments here. If you know the Lord's been putting his finger on something in your life, that's not sin, but if you're honest, it's a distraction. It's not to say you can't have things that you enjoy, you can't have hobbies, all of that. But I think at some point we need to contemplate and ask the question, is this gonna to lead to the producing of the fruit that God not only has called me to, but will actually one day hold me accountable to? If you know there's areas, not necessarily sinful things, but okay things, good things, that are robbing you of time, of energy, could I ask you to be bold simply just to stand to your feet? I'd love to pray for you.
God's stirring your heart to, to have faith again, to say, Lord, what's the specific thing you're calling me to? Jesus, for those responding to the moving of your Holy Spirit and the teaching of your word, specifically to them right now. Lord, that you've highlighted areas in their heart where they know they need to respond. Lord, I pray that you would you would lead them in this as your, your word promises your Holy Spirit will do. That as they reflect upon their budget, as they reflect upon their calendar, as they reflect upon the pursuits of their life and what they spend their time and attention on, Lord, would you just gently provide some redirection in those areas that they might not just stand, but that they might produce great fruit. That you would paint a clearer picture of what you're calling them to. Jesus' name. You guys grab a seat. I'd love to invite you to maybe sit with us this week. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. Pull out your calendar. Is there anything crowding out maybe what God is calling us to? you're single, grab someone who you trust. Because honestly, if I do this by myself, oh, I can make all the excuses for why everything I want to do is vitally important. Maybe someone with a bit more wisdom to look at how you spend your money, where you spend your time. Somebody to bounce something off that let's not just get a quick amen, quickly receive it and sprout up. But the reality is there's no lasting fruit. Say, God, would you help lead me in this so that I can produce good fruit? Just a reminder, next week we have our AGM after service. Uh, we got Grow right now happening in the fireside room uh, for those who signed up. If you didn't, but you'd like to serve on team, that's your next step. You can join us. But other than that, love you guys so much. Have a great Sunday and we'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.